<laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's great because I always ran warm anyway. So for me, like you know, I I love exercising in the cold. Ever, ever since my college days, you know, mm -hmm. it's just like learning how to do like the Wim Hof method just on the fly, just because, you know, we would practice and it would be negative eight degrees with wind chill. And I, all I was wearing was essentially, you know, yoga girl pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, I don't mind the cold at all. Like, especially moving up north, I like actually kind of embraced it, you know, mm -hmm. like we don't have a hot water heater, so we just take cold showers and you know, it's like ice cold, you know, yeah. so we, <laughs> and I, I don't know. I love it now. You know, at first it was like, but I don't know. So if now I, I've been going out for like 10 mile walks in the uh -huh. cold. No big deal. You know, so. Wow. You're conditioning yourself with cold water in the winter. I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm about to, you know, do some nice little dives into our lake. Our lake was probably in the forties. So that, that would be my polar bear express yeah well last year in order to basically prepare ourselves we just started jumping in the river we're like well you know so yeah. there's like ice on it we're breaking the ice and going into the river and so i don't know you know makes a man out of you i guess yeah have you have you noticed with your body like your overall metabolism change when you started to do that well i i mean to be honest i've been out of shape for a while so i'm trying to get back into shape mm -hmm. um but back when i was doing that um I think it did. I, it's kind of weird. I tend to like lose weight in the winter and gain it in the summer, mm -hmm. <laughs> which you would think would be like the other way around. No, but, no. You're um, a mesomorph. That's that's common for mesomorphs. What is that? What does that mean? Uh, mesomorph, your body type is it's think meso is muscular. So you're, yeah, okay. sto you're stocky. You're like a fire hydrant. Yep. So the fire hydrant builds, your metabolism goes up in the winter time. Like I'll, I'll lose weight also in the winter time. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's sort of the the troll bloodlines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a it's a hobbit thing then, huh? <laughs> exactly. And then the summer, you'll you'll become like a lazy Mexican. You'll you'll like even though you'll be outside more, your body the heat will slow you down, whereas mm -hmm. the cold will speed you up. Yeah, this last year, I mean, after we got back from Flattoberfest, I mean, I've been in like three major bike bicycle accidents where I got hit by cars over the years. Oof. Yeah. And I yeah. walked away from all of them. But I don't know if it was like this year, as soon as the weather changed, I mean, there was about a week where I basically couldn't walk, essentially. Mm -hmm. I was so in pain, like my shoulders and everything. And I don't know if that was the cold that brought it on, but... Holy shit, man. It was, it was tough. I basically spent a week stretching just so I could get back to walking again. Really? Right. Yeah. Well, it so wasn't, it, it wasn't a car wreck or a bike wreck. That was coronavirus. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the fact that I was doing 25 miles an hour and a car went right in front of me. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I'm getting older. I don't know if it's just the joints or whatever that was, cause I've heard that happens to, you know, like our arthritic people or whatever. Then when it gets cold, their joints start, but holy shit, bro. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I spent a week just stretching everything out. I'm on the roller and you know, all of that. And so it was it was bad. So I'm I'm really trying to get back into my body again, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I'm so much up here because mm -hmm. I'm writing and just focusing on research and stuff. And then this, you know, lacks a little bit. And so mm -hmm. then, you know, I'm trying to get back into it. So well, speaking of writing, I might as well make an introduction here. Yeah, my man Marty Leeds. 
you're you're introducing a you're introducing a book here pretty soon probably by the time this podcast comes out your your book will be available online to people um why don't you give us a little a little uh taste a little precursor of of what's going in this this wonderful writing of yours uh, I did the pre-sale on Christmas. So the Christmas sermon, we did the pre-sale. So it is available now for purchase. And hopefully in the next, I don't know, a couple of weeks, it should be done and I'll start shipping it out. But mm -hmm. it's called Scripture in the Stars. Hey, there's a copy of it. And Beautiful. Yeah, I'm really proud of this one. It came out really quick, man. Like it was just one of those things where mm -hmm. I just, I didn't even have to look. You know, it's just kind of like, yeah. please done, you know. Um, but yeah, it's basically a, a story going over the biblical stories, some of the main ones, and then correlating them to the stars mm -hmm. and then extracting like the spiritual message from them. So, and go and getting really, really detailed, um, short chapters, but very detailed and basically going and covering some of the main stories like Jacob and Esau, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff in the New Testament and showing how they're related to the, the stars, you know, specific constellations, mm -hmm. how the story plays out, you know, the whole thing. So pretty, um, I'm really proud of it. It's a, it's an easy read and it really gets right to the core of, of uh, the study, you know, it's astrotheology right. or astrology, whatever you want to say, but mm -hmm. yeah. Well, the astrotheology is, is absolutely magnificent. Uh, probably like most people, I was first exposed to astrotheology through Zeitgeist <laughs> in 2007. And that was like, you know, mind blowing to me at the time. And at the time, I, I really didn't have much knowledge of the stars at all. I, I had some knowledge with astrology, but uh, it was, you know, very common Western tropical astrology, kind of knew some archetypes here and there knew knew a few things to look for in the sky so when i saw that that uh i don't know if you call it like a documentary or whatever it was it was really mind-blowing especially to somebody that grew up as a protestant and uh <laughs> you know and then i was exposed to oddly enough in south florida there's huge huge cavalry churches so i had oh, a lot i had lots of clients uh for yoga and massage that were kind of browbeating me all the time about, you know, there's only one way <laughs> to, to heaven. And it didn't make any sense because when I would meet these people, they were, they were, they, uh, they weren't necessarily what I would say living the word, you know? So my wife and I have been enjoying your sermon every Sunday. Like we really enjoy it. And one of the things I find unique about your message is your astrotheological way of seeing the Bible actually reinforces the morality of it. It doesn't detract from it, which I think is just so magnificent because so many of the earlier astrotheological things that I came across from Tessarion or the Zeitgeist or all these other people, it was almost like because it was astrotheological, it negated the morality of life. <laughs> and so I find with yours, I, I just get uplifted. I, I always feel, I always note when I feel extra energy in my system. And whenever I'm listening to your sermon or going through any of your work, I always get like that extra body buzz going on. So it, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I can't wait to buy your book and, and read it. Um, 
would you mind giving my my guests like a little background of how you actually got into the, into the the node that you're in now? Well, funny enough, Zeitgeist was was a kicker at the time. For sure, that was one of those things just like me. I was pretty, you know, that was pretty profound for me at the time because mm -hmm. I I was in at that point, I think I was pretty much like, oh, religion's bullshit. You know, I'm more mm -hmm. science direct, you know, that kind of thing, but yeah, I mean, the the funny thing about what you were saying about like Tessarian and a lot of those guys, a lot of times they'll see the astrotheological connection and then the, immediately the the response will be it's a conspiracy. Right. Right. And that's that's essentially what was pushed by Acharya S and Peter Joseph and Zeitgeist. And so people, the only relationship they have to the Bible being astrotheological is a lot of those people. So even modern Christians, they'll say, well, they think it's all a conspiracy. But then you realize that, you know, Zeitgeist is actually just uh, you know, uh, sort of um, leapfrogging off this entire tradition that actually talked about this, written volumes of literature about mm -hmm. it, and they didn't come to that conclusion that it was a conspiracy. They came to the conclusion, a lot of these esoteric mystical writers, that this was, oh no, that this was the actual meat and potatoes of this thing, and it actually brought you a, a greater understanding of the morals and lessons in the story. Mm -hmm. And that's what that tradition, so while I was hearing in one ear, oh, it's all a conspiracy, in the other ear, I'm, I'm hearing like, well, no, they're actually making sense of this, and bringing higher levels of wisdom from it. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that was just so, it was like, whoa, there's a mis there's a great mystery going on here. And it seems like so many people haven't really taken a bite of it, you know, honestly. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so that was a, that was a big thing. But I, I would say this, just like years of being hyper analytical and really, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Um, Oh, I don't know. Rambunctious, fucking rebellious, right? Mm -hmm. That just a little shit kicking kid, you know, kind of mm -hmm. dick sometimes. <laughs> to hear what anybody, you know, it was like people would tell you how it is in the world. And I was always like, no, nah, that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to figure it out myself kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so years and years of like going into science, rejecting religion, going into science. And then you realized I was like, there's no answers here. There, none of this makes any mm -hmm. sense. It's not providing anything. They're just basically saying there's no creator. So, Eventually, that led um, into really the mystical, uh, well, I would say called the mysteries. The mystery mm -hmm. school tradition is really what it is. And that was probably when I was like 27, 28, I picked up my first book on Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it was just, you know, and I had been at that point, um, what people don't realize, sorry, I'm ranting a little bit. What people don't realize <laughs> about is there's a huge, it's a huge uh, tradition of scholars and seekers and philosophers that wrote volumes of literature on all of these mysteries. And most people don't even know that. They just think it's a bunch of guys on the lodge and they're wearing silly gloves and stupid shit like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, and I had been a voracious reader up to that point. Like, you know, I mean, I was, you know, I ingested a lot of material. Then I got to the mysteries, right? And I getting into some of these authors and I'd never read anything like that before in my life. Nothing had ever even come close to what these guys were talking about, the connections they were making, some of the studies that I'd never even heard before, archaeoastronomy, astrotheology. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it was just like, bam, bam, next, next, go, 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 mm -hmm. you know? And so that's what's brought me today. So now it's, you know, a lot of times I have to go directly against what the, even a lot of truth seekers believe and tout Freemasonry for one of those, one of those things. And I don't know, I just had the, you know, fire in me to do it. So that's what's led me to, you know, what, what brought you to the septenarian cipher? Because the first time we talked like eight or nine years ago, we, we were really, or you were really going into the gematria mm -hmm. of, of the world. And like, what, what was your in, like, how did you enter that world and look at things from the septenarian cipher perspective? 
Oh my lord! Because um, you're 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 a mathematician, I, right? Like you're you you went to university for math. Is that true? No, no, oh. no. I'm a I'm a failure. <laughs> <laughs> I got a C in college. I think I got a C in college algebra, dude. I'm not oh, even joking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds like bad. I was, I was no. like not good at it at all. So yeah, I mean, I basically dropped out. I mean, this is funny story. I dropped out of school because I wasn't learning enough mm -hmm. in college. Yeah. I was doing more reading on my own and studying on my own than I was going. And then I would go to class and then it would just be some professor that really didn't give a shit. And I wasn't learning anything, you know, and then on the other side here, I'm reading like Paul Auster and freaking, you know, Edward Abbey and like, mm -hmm. you know, classic works of literature and stuff like this. And then I'm going to college and paying money and they're not teaching me shit, mm -hmm. you know? So I essentially dropped out of college because I wanted to learn. You right. Know? So, um, yeah, that's that's about it. So, no, I wasn't no I'm terrible at math, actually. Yeah. Well, how about because I would just like to go back because I, I, I this whole podcast is about cosmology. And the reason why is I think when people have a big picture view of things, then they can actually set a context for the little data points that's coming in. Because mm -hmm. one thing I think has occurred with the internet is that there's such this like barrage of information that people are taking in quantity and not quality. And Amen. <laughs> Amen. So yeah. <laughs> my goal is, is to give people almost like a trivium or quadrivium like framework of mind. So when they are receiving data points, they they have a way of pyrolyzing of distilling and discerning what is actually relative for them in their own context of their life. Mm -hmm. And then also the broader context for what's going on. So somebody like you that has gone through massive amounts of information, you have historical context on, on your end. And then you've also done the symbolic, you have very, very high symbolic literacy, especially from my perspective with the little bit that I know of symbolism. Um, when when you first started explaining the septenarian cipher with gematria that was just like mind-blowing to me and it made a lot of sense too with the way i was looking at it like why why it would be used would you mind discussing that just a, just briefly so people have a little you know historical context of of, of your viewpoint sure um go back quick you know went into science and then really wasn't finding the answers there mm -hmm. and then started to get into mysticism and like that, you know, those, you know, basically ancient myths and different cultures and all of these mystical things like archaeoastronomy and mm -hmm. astrotheology. And one of these things was Gematria or Kabbalah. You know, this was one of the subjects that I was introduced through that. And so I got to a point where I noticed that so many of these cultures, when I was doing cross-cultural, you know, comparative mythology and that sort of mm -hmm. thing, analyzing them, the thing that would come up was consistently would be math. You'd have the same numbers come up again and again, everything from seven to, you know, whatever it is, three being, you know, sacred trinity, blah, 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 blah. So eventually I was like, okay, it seems like everybody's full of shit and nobody has any answers. Well, I know that I can go to math and math is not going to lie to me. Two plus two is going to equal four, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. End mm -hmm. of story. Doesn't, I don't care what anybody thinks, right? So I was really drawn to that because I was like, God, I'm going through all this stuff and I can't make sense of it. And people are full of shit and there's liars and you can't trust the religions and the science and blah, blah, blah. So then I went to math and then I did this just crazy, um, really intensive, you know, you could say possessed, I would say divinely inspired um, pursuit of math. 
And then it got to a point where I felt like I was pretty well versed in it to the point where I was, you know, a lot of this was just making sense and in, in my head and mm-hmm. I could explain it. Then I got to a point of talking about um, what would be considered Gamatria Kabbalah in very esoteric science. And I, I got to a point where I was like, well, does English have one of these things? Is there a cipher or a mathematical foundation to English? That that began that inquiry in my head. And then one day, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I don't know how else to say it. But God sort of just was like, here, take this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, and that's what I write about, you know. Because um, you were sincere. You know, that that's the thing. So. Very that's much a, so. I think you're really much in the vein, uh, like I've said this for a long time, and I I really, after listening to you enough, I I really feel you're in this vein. This, if you're sincere, like if you're really sincere, you will be given, you'll be given whatever you're the, like wherever your sincerity lies, you'll be given the truth of it. Absolutely. I also think that Everybody has a, and the Bible talks about this too, but everybody has a sort of station in life. Everybody has like um, an arc, something that they're supposed to fulfill in this lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. Like we all have a sort of destiny, I kind of think, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think the more honest you are with your life, even through the screw ups and the sins and the mishaps and all that other stuff, honest about those, Mm -hmm. like God is like unveiling this thing that you're supposed to fulfill in your life. And the more honest and sincere you are with it, the more God is going to respond Mm -hmm. and give you those little clues, those things. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've experienced. You know, Mm -hmm. it's aligning yourself with the, hi. (laughs) Hey, little girl. Hi. (laughs) No, she, she wants to be on the cast. She, she heard we were talking. (laughs) She's like, I'm out of here. I love you, baby girl. (laughs) Um, so what were we talking about? I don't even know. We're talking um, about sincerity and how yeah, the, more, yeah. the more sincere yeah. you. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think you're totally right. Um, when I went into this pursuit, I was unbelievably sincere. Like I remember saying numerous times, like, I just want to know. Mm-hmm. I don't care what the truth ends up being. I don't care how wrong I was. I was, I don't care how many things I have to let go of that. I might cling to my opinions, beliefs. I want the truth. And I'm very sincere about that. And I'm going to do everything in my power to try to find that. Mm-hmm. Well, and- I, I fell in love with your work years back because um, I've always been tied to the hands. <laughs> We've, we're all kind of tied to the hands. But all my work in my life has been tied to my hands. Uh, I had a, a chiropractor that I used to do myofascial release for. And he taught me this whole qigong way of building the the chi in my hands he 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 taught me this method of putting on surrogate hands and like we would have these charts in his office of all the polarity points of the of the chi in the hands and so when you when i saw you had a chart where you you linked you know the 14 areas of the hand to the septenarian cipher and you did the the 14 and 14 and my number in college was 14 so i was like this guy's my guy you know (laughs) and and like i've always had and the only reason why it was 14 was because sevens were always showing up in my life but number seven was taken you know that was really my favorite number so i just doubled it in my mind and then um then later you know, ever since I've been a builder, I've been building domes. And then when you build domes, especially the mandala domes that I build, you end up having all these overlaps of 
they're essentially pentagrams and, pentag and pentagons where you have, you know, the, the whole notion of um, the golden ratio is all encoded into the pentagram and then the pentagon and all the rest of it. So I've had this love affair with one and four, 14, five, you know, and, you know, this, this really locked me in when I first started w watching your work. Would you mind, you know, describing that just a little bit for, for the people? Yeah, well, the, the septic, I mean, the septenary cipher is totally based on seven. A lot of people don't realize that when you build the septenary cipher, I mean, essentially what it's saying is that the, you know, our language is an encoded language. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very, very highly mystical medium and mm -hmm. we use to explain our entire world with, to one another and tell the children that we love them and praise God and build, you know, we use this medium all, all the time. And yet we never really go into it and actually analyze it. Like, what is this thing? Where did it come from? How does it work? So when I got to Gamatria, I, I saw all these different cultures that had of mathematical foundation behind their alphabet. And I was like, well, that's why is it there and there and there and there and there? Why don't we have one? So when I looked at al the alphabet, you know, it has a particular order. It's A, B, C, D, E. So there's a sequence. There's an order to those letters. So I saw that hey, it's 26 letters. I just split it in 13 and 13 mm -hmm. and put seven on the center. And I remember the first time I did this, man. I mean, I it, it came out in probably like a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. Just mm -hmm. like next thing I know, I'm like, what is this kind of thing? Mm -hmm. But I remember I, because what you do is you A through M and through Z, and then you walk up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And that's mm -hmm. when I stopped. And I remember writing it out. And, you know, I'd been studying Freemasonry and things like that for a long the time. The G! The G! And it's, I mean, I remember I was in my, I was with my ex. I was in her mom's basement at the time. And I was going through all this math and in my notebook. And next thing I know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I stopped at the G. I'm like, fuck, mm -hmm. there it is. Yeah. It was a unbelievable. I mean, I'm, I'm like shaking right now, just thinking about it. Cause it was a very profound moment in my life where I was like, Jesus, what the hell, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. It was one of the moments like that. That's not, I didn't think of that shit. I'm mm -hmm. not that creative. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not that smart. Like, so I, I went up to seven then started walking back down. Cause I was like, Whoa, let's make, I'd been studying symmetry and the, mm -hmm. you know, the beauty, the beauty where actually that's where you get beauty is symmetry right. and a lot of these proportions, things like that. So I, you know, I mirrored that thing and then I'm like, whoa, okay, let's just do symmetry again. So I took those one A, B, C, D, F, G, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, took that, put it on the other end of the alphabet. And next thing you know, I just stood back and I was like, what, what is this? It just made mm -hmm. sense. It was beautiful. It was mm -hmm. the G it stopped on the, it stopped on the T on the mm -hmm. other side of the alphabet, which is tau, which mm -hmm. was, what I was one of was like, Whoa, wait a second. The fuck's that, you know, it was one of those moments. Then one of the first things I did was Lord and God. And those both equaled 13, mm -hmm. you know? And so that was like 13 and 13 and Lord and God. Then I did heaven and earth and earth was 24 and heaven was 23. And that led to 47, which was another number I had been, mm -hmm. You know, it was just one thing after another, after another, after another. And then I remember the first video I ever did on this was I like it was just once again, it was just sort of like God leading me or whatever you want to say. But it's like, well, you do do a video on Christ, you know, mm -hmm. for some. And then, you know, it wasn't years later when I actually said, well, Jesus, maybe I'm maybe I'm a Christian. <laughs> maybe I right. Should start a church. <laughs> maybe I should start. I should write a book about this shit or something. You know, it was kind of that thing. So uh, it, It's so good. It's so good. When you. 
a lot of people denounce the English language like it's a devolution. And one of the things I really appreciate about your work was like, no, this is English. This is uh, <laughs> this is the 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 language of the the angels. And I'm so happy now. There's like a there's a bunch of people that are coming coming to that realization of just how advanced and how evolutionary the language actually is. Uh, I think our language is genius. I really do. I also think, you know, I think Hebrew's genius too. Mm -hmm. You know, when I when I actually just do a stand back and you know just look at just analyze it for the you know the structure and the all just how it works and I think it's genius, you know. Mm -hmm. So I yeah I I always was um it that never sat well with me when people did the whole conspiratorial like our language is it was John D and he created it because he wanted to blah 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 you know that kind of. Mm -hmm. mentality that narrative and it just never sat well with me because i was yeah. like nah. and then i got into masons like frank c higgins mm -hmm. and that guy was straight up he's like no nah, this is an angelic thing dude this is highly mystical we're, we're just starting to get to understand this thing again and that mm -hmm. went me i read that and i'm like oh this guy's just making way more sense than the you know pardon my language but retards on youtube they're like eh, it's not, you know that kind of shit you know? well it's literally i mean the, the majority of the people that would denounce it they they had zero eloquence <laughs> and i was like uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're kind of projecting your your own uh your own uh crap onto this thing because i've listened to tons of elo like there's just so much beauty in it i i the only other language i semi know is spanish mm -hmm. I can understand a little bit of Portuguese from, you know, singing it, but, you know, the overall, this, obviously it being my home language, it, it feel I'm the most comfortable with it, but there is so much, I noticed in other languages, they don't have as many ways to describe things that, at least from the, from the English language perspective, going in, the, in their direction. Like the descriptors, like there's so many more adjectives mm -hmm. that that are in English than like say Spanish. Mm -hmm. Like in Spanish, it's hilarious. Like they'll use like you know the same word a hundred different ways, and there it's like it's an adjective, it's a noun, it's this, this, and that. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not able to get my point across. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Levels of interpretation happening. Here, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's horrible. And I have I, I get a little bit frustrated with some of my online friends that that go into languages now. And when they're breaking them down, they break it down all into this like interchangeable word salad, like like soup, where like almost all the boundaries are broken, mm -hmm. where I can't. I'm like, OK, so I see that there's this interrelatability throughout time but what are you trying to say just because this is an evolution of this word or this is being used this way this way this way what exactly are you pushing at like what is the what are you trying to say are you trying to say that the way the word is being used is being used sort of like in the shadow shadow language world where you know the person that knows knows and the person that doesn't know interprets it a different way and I haven't really gotten a consensus opinion from the people that really go that route of like completely deconstructing the English language mm -hmm. to, I don't really, I, at least I personally don't know what they're trying to reconstruct it to. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, this is a, 
this might be to your point. I, 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 one of the things I recognized along the way is that languages are especially English, but you know, like we can go to other languages, but uh, they seem to be directly tied to the religious texts. Okay. So English is directly tied to Christianity and the new Testament. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is why we don't say, ah, you know, when you say, ah, you know, God damn it. Or when you say, ah, Jesus Christ, that sort of thing. You don't say, ah, Allah, or, you know, ah, Buddha, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Then you go and you actually look at our language and how deeply tied to so many of the phrases that you will actually find in scripture. And so you see, I actually see the same thing happening with a lot of these different languages where Hindu was tied to that religious tradition. Mm -hmm. You know, Farsi is tied to that, you know, Islam and that sort of thing, you know, and I think that um, understanding that actually allows us a deeper insight into our language. It, it allows us to understand is specifically what words mean, like heaven, right? When we say heaven or we say earth, those are those are terms that we can tie right to the Bible. Well, there's they when they're writing the, the terms heaven, they mean something very specific. Mm -hmm. They mean something specific geometrically. They mean something specifically in our physical world, you know, that sort of thing. So um, I think what I'm trying to say is that when you understand that our language is so, so much tied to Christ and Christianity and that sort of thing, it allows the, um, the, the, um, a specificity to the words to really hone in on what you're saying. Like when I say heaven, I know exactly what the hell I'm saying. I'm like that metaphysical stuff, that incorruptible stuff right there. Not some imaginary world in which, no, 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 like that, you know what I mean? That yeah. Kind of thing. So I really like the fact that the more and more I got into language, it allowed, a, I think this is what you're trying to say, like a specificity to what I'm saying. Like if I want to, you know, say something directly to you, I have this language that's really potent, you know, that has a, it has a spiritual underpinning, a mathematical, scientific, and spiritual underpinning. In that like, vein, also, in that vein, do you think English in and of itself is like the Piscean age language? I mean, kind of, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it seems to be going that way, right? Right. It really does. Because this is something, uh, you know, I have to get into cosmology. So what, I'm, what I've been experiencing in my, own, in my own sphere of experience is that it almost, it does feel like we're in a transition phase. I feel like we're like, you know, anybody that's looked into astrology long enough when you get into the latter stages of anybody's sign they start to show <laughs> the the attributes of the next sign you know mm -hmm. it's like it's like you know nature is very gentle in her way she she kind of gives you a a, a little warm-up before you actually dive into the next into the next uh season or whatever it is there's just this gentle lapping of consciousness that works at least mutability right exactly so like, you know, you, you talk to anybody that's into this stuff, like the last three or four degrees of any sign going into the first three or four degrees of the next sign, you get this real mutability, as you said. So I, I, I feel this transition from water to air. Like I actually, I, I can feel it. <laughs> I don't know. And I, and just to be honest, I don't know if it's just my age, like I'm in midlife now and I don't know if that that's just a function of the age, but in actually watching technology, watching communication, just watching how my body moves through space and time, 
I really feel like the there is this inception of air air quality into things, which would be like what people have talked about since the seventies with like the advent of of uh, the Aquarian age. Where where do you see us in the whole sky clock aspect? I, um, the, oh, that's a, that's a great question. But yeah, I mean, I would say this about, about you, you, you're pretty like empathic, right? You, you're kind of a feels guy, right? Like, yes. they're, they're, you know, it's, that's, there's just different personality types. Some people are more reserved and closed off and some people. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I feel like there is a great change happening. I mean, people say that all the time, great awakening, that sort of thing, mm -hmm. but more than that, like there's something else going it's on. It's qualitative. So yeah, in all, much. in all my training, like I was talking about earlier with using the hands, like in polarity therapy and massage, whenever you're working on people, you're, you, you get good because you are sensitive. Yes. You can nope. feel these slight gradients of, I mean, it's infinitesimally small little gradients of difference and the more you can tune into it and be with that then you're that that's what allows the the loop current and the whole thing to occur so in in life you know the one thing i've been blessed a lot with is to have time to perceive my surroundings yeah. the, the older i get the more i understand I'm like wow god has really graced me with the opportunity to perceive my surroundings so I don't take that lightly because I, I recognize there's a lot of people in my life that don't have the time to actually do those things. So I'm just like being with it. And I've lived in all different environments. I lived on five different continents. You know, I, I, I kind of have like a, I guess, a well-rounded way of feeling things. But the, like, you know, you hear people say a lot, like uh, time is speeding up. <laughs> I actually don't think that. I think, I think perception is what's changing and perception is changing because we're going from a more aqueous medium to a more gaseous medium, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I know. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. As, as the sky clock is concerned, you know, when it goes to like changing ages, I'm, a, I'm, you know, as far as the world age doctrine is concerned, I'm very much behind that. It just makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the archaeological record, you see all this, you know, the high civilizations and then mound builders. And, mm -hmm. you know, you just see this expanse where you look back in history is like, there's been this sort of ebb and flow, this vicissitudes kind of thing, you know, high tide, low tide going on with humanity. It just makes sense to me. Then you go to the other cultures around the world and you'll see that this was something that was codified pretty well, pretty well substantiated in cosmology and, you know, myth and all this other shit. You can go to Mayans, you can go to the Hindus, blah, 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 right? You know, that story, Greek, all that. So um, as far as mapping and tracking that, though, the one thing that's been tied to is procession of the equinoxes well mm -hmm. the only problem with that is well number one the ball model procession of equinoxes. <laughs> <laughs> that never made sense to me mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that there isn't some sort of processional thing happening the only problem with that is has anybody mapped it has anybody tracked it has anybody met as far as i know no you know as far as like modern day people saying oh there's a 72 degree shift maybe there has maybe there is i don't know mm -hmm. i do know studying the mayan calendar that they absolutely without question mapped these long count you know long cycles and periodicities and things and they even said that there's going to be great changes during those and they calculated it down to a mathematical precision that is mind fucking 
boggling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did the Mayan calendar, the deconstruction of the Mayan calendar, you know, when I got into this stuff and I was just highly astute with math. I just you know, I've never seen that work of yours. Oh, geez, man. It's I, genius. I mean, I was, not, I, me, not me. I'm just, I'm just a dude like explaining it, but whoever crafted it and put it together, it's freaking genius. And well, it's based off pie. It's based off the, your hands. It's based off the parts yeah. of the human being. It's just unbelievable. Anyway. Well, it makes so much sense to me because in Ayurvedic massage, they, t- they taught us the 13 divas, the 13 moon divas. And so I got very, like, it was, it was very specific. It was like, okay, when you're under this moon, under this moon, this is the quality. This is the qualitative experience of this diva. Mm-hmm. And you could interact with the diva of, of that moon. And so when I lived in Costa Rica, the earth there is bauxite clay, which is paramagnetic. Mm-hmm. And so the moon energy there is amplified. So I'd watch these women play out the whole diva. Like I got to watch it. Oh, really? She, they would play out the moon diva. And they, they, it wasn't like they had any autonomy. Mm-hmm. At least in my, in my consciousness, because I was aware of that, that influence of that energy. So obviously through my filter and my projection, I was seeing, you know, what i was seeing but it was very it took it took me years to understand what i was experiencing there and so that really that really got me interested into the mayan cosmology because mm-hmm. the whole 1328 that that whole action was like i'm actually watching this happen in my life like this is a real thing as far as the moon phases things concerned and having quality qualities to them that's something that was once again and we have a book of the hawaiian the polynesian people and they had a whole thing where they had it was like a 30 day where they mapped uh, you know that the sidir or the synodic lunar month mm-hmm. uh, and yeah they actually gave you the qualities of each you know like yeah. this is and give us and then so therefore it means this sort of thing mm-hmm. you know when you see stuff like that and you go like halfway across the world and they're coming up with the same things mm-hmm. to me when i see that that's a spark that's that's like wait a second why that right. immediately i have to start asking questions be like there's got to be some connecting thread well then when you realize what the actual connecting thread is is god mm-hmm. that's the actual connecting thread right. our cosmology then it's like it's a whole nother it's a whole new ball game you're not dealing with mayan and hindu and polynesian and shit you're dealing with people that are trying to understand god now we're now we're getting somewhere right remember when i got into the mayan stuff um you know, I dove headfirst in that because it's just freaking fascinating to me, right? I, I was friends with John Major Jenkins for oh, a long cool. Time. I, we were Jennifer and I were supposed to live with him actually before we moved to Hawaii. That was one of the places, and then he ended up passing. But John, fantastic researcher, awesome, I mean, absolute, you know, gem of a human being. Loved the guy very much. But anyway, um, when I got into the Mayan stuff, I remember I did the thirteen twenty. You know, it's a two hundred sixty day Solkin calendar mm-hmm. on the three sixty, the whole bit, right? And I remember speaking to this Anishinaabe elder up in Canada and he came up to me and he's like, Hey man, just so you know, the same Mayan where they get the 13 when the Mayans will say this too, is like your, your joints, your neck, your shoulders, your elbows, your wrists, your knees, your hips, your, you know, your, there's the 13 joints, right? Your uh, ankles. So you got the 13 Mm -hmm. on here. And then the 20 is your 10 up here and your 10 down there. Mm. Right. Cool. So, the Anishinaabe were coming up with the exact same joint positions as these Mayans down here. Mm-hmm. And then the Mayans were basing their entire calendrical system on this stuff. So to me, I was like, how? 
what does that say about human beings? What does that say about us made, being made in the image of God? What does that say about, you know, how connected we are to these things? It was very profound for me because it wasn't based on anybody's belief. It was like, no, we're done. We're dealing with math now. Who gives yeah. a shit your opinion or his or mine? Mm-hmm. Let's get to, let's, you know, this is true. Cool. That's you know? so cool. That's so cool. I, uh, I had some, <laughs> where I lived, um, there was this whole this whole movement around the the end of the the Zolkin calendar, the end of the Mayan calendar, and I had read John Major Jenkins' his two books on it, and he was very emphatic, like, "No, this isn't the end." End, <laughs> like, <laughs> like he was very that guy did it, we, we, because he would at the time. I didn't mean to cut you off, but it was so fascinating to watch because I knew what the Mayans were talking about. I read John and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. So every interview we'd have to do is like, so you know, are the Mayans is a pole shift? And John would be like, well, no, they didn't say anything of the sort. That's right. all Hollywood this and Hollywood that. And he kept consistent mm-hmm. on that, you know. And no one ever took him seriously. I did. Yeah, I, I had a very weird interaction with a client that I, I had designed his house for and I started building and he ended up firing me because <laughs> we got in a fight over the the Mayan long count calendar while while I was laying earth bags for him. And I just started I I, I couldn't I could not not lay into him because he was putting his family in great detriment because he really thought the world was ending. So I'm like, why are you having me build this house? Why are you having me do all this? You have five kids. I'm like, if you really think this, like if you're really under this mentality, you're, you're absolutely nuts. Why would you be going and concretizing your life and wasting my time? If you're under this, because he started coming at me and I was like, your guru's full of full of BS. He's just extracting your wealth. Like nope. this is the best get out of get out of town free card I've ever heard of. And he ended up firing me. <laughs> Cause I, I couldn't I could not I could not I couldn't just stand by and listen to this BS. And then like, you know. I, I don't need to get into details of, of how the family life ended up being, but it wasn't the best. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Who's the true guru here? The guy that's building the house or some guys like, uh, my, you know? Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's just how life goes sometimes, but the, the math behind it was so simplistic. And another thing I liked too, is I was reading, who was that other gentleman that back in the day when Google video was going on, before YouTube, he was the one that did the 13 and the 20 against the long count. And he had his whole like, uh, uh, he mapped all of the Western astrology archetypes onto that. I forget his name. Oh, he had, um, oh geez. I know who you're talking about too. He looked like that old, the actor, Jeff Gutenberg <laughs> from Cocoon. Like he, Wait, are we talking about the same guy now? He was a uh, God. He, he has a oh, Jewish cool. name. It's like, oh, maybe we're thinking of two different people then now, because I'm thinking of like a Native American guy that no. did. Okay. No, I know that guy, Argila or Arguilla. Jose Arguilas. Well, Arguilla. he's okay. he stole Arguilas stole his work from this Jewish guy. Oh, he was a, that Jose guy was a fraud. Yeah, yeah. 
right away. Yeah. I was like, this guy's just full of shit. Like, he, you know. No, no. He totally bastardized this other guy that was like the this real I, I always got this real genuine way uh, thing from him because he was like doing like what you know all of us sort of polymaths do is like we take something from one field and that informs us in another field and we're always using our hands and we're always active you know i have this thing where i really feel like if if you're not using your hands like in in life like you're not really being a human you know so i i kind of i kind of only trust people that are active with their hands you know mm-hmm. not just up here but he was like his insights it was so beautiful breaking from the 12 model of things to the 13 model of things because when i was growing up in south florida there was not a single condominium or building that you could go to in south florida and and go to the 13th floor no (laughs) and i remember as a little kid being like what what do you mean (laughs) like there's obviously a 13th floor just because you number it 14 doesn't make it 14 like it's (laughs) i mean dude all of the like it was like 13 was the number not to be not to be talked about so it was so cool to hear he kind of gave me the the entree into thinking of 13 as this like beautiful number and gave mm-hmm. me a little bit of historical context why the Catholics got rid of it. Do you have any insight into that? Well, I mean, just to say this, because I was sort of like this, uh, like I said, like sort of rambunctious, sort of um, iconoclastic kid, really, really, you know, growing up, I was just like, as soon as I heard 13 was like, well, I don't go there, you know, triscodectophobia, that whole thing, fear of the number 13, don't go there. <laughs> that Immediately, I'm like, what, what's fucking up with that? You know, that was my mind. I was like, there's something there. There's yeah. something there. And then when I did the cipher and it was 13 and 13, I remember, you know, I even got comments mm-hmm. being like, well, 13, though, you know, Bro. and these Christians. Bro. And then I immediately would just throw right back at him. I was like, Jesus had 12 disciples. That means he hung What's with the 13th, 13 dudes. What are, you know, mm-hmm. Da Vinci's last supper, just count, you know, kind of yeah. shit. Was that a kind of situation? So to me, that was like insight. It was just like something's going on there. Mm-hmm. And then it makes you wonder why they did that. Was this all just always superstition? Or is this some sort of occultic way of, you know, passing on this information in the way that information is passed on and occulted kind of thing? Mm-hmm. You know, is this just something that was, you know, done once or twice or whatever it was to instill this idea that, hey, something special about 13, and then it just gets carried on and that sort of thing. Who knows? We don't have no idea, but mm-hmm. it definitely lit a fire in me because I was like, what, what's up with that? You know, obviously you were asking the questions. Yeah. I remember as a kid too, for some reason, whenever I would have did this literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times as a kid, in my old house, we would run up the stairs. And I remember as a kid, I would always go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. And I just remember counting and yeah. no, I had no idea why I was doing it, whatever, but I just did. And then when I started getting into stuff like this, it was like those triggers. Mm-hmm. It was like, wait a second, I remember doing that shit when I was a kid. Why? You know, yeah. it was like. I don't know. To me, it's like the sort of way that's like what I said, when you're like sincere and honest and sort of thing, it's like, that's when God starts doing this kind of thing and letting, you know what I mean? Part in the water. So you get to the path through, if you will. Right. All those little things over the years that were just like, huh. You know? When you, when you look at the sky, like when you look at the plane ecliptic, are, do you use a 13 constellation ecliptic or do you use the a 12? Man doesn't make any sense to use 13, and I'll tell you why. Because it doesn't, 13 is a prime, and there's no divisors within 13. 
So when you're mapping and tracking time, it's necessary to divide it, you know, and divide divide it e e easily and evenly. Even the the Mayan thirteen by twenty, they used a two hundred and sixty, which is a very divisible number, you know. Um, so that's been always my take. Like when you go to map, like just I always do this to explain this, right? And you, I think you'll understand this geometrically anyway. When you draw two circles and you want to say we're going to map time with this. First circle, I want you to do divide it into 12. It's going to take you one, two, 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 done. Mm -hmm. Now divide in the next one, the 13. How long is it going to take you? A long time. Long time kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? So to me, especially when you look at even how we map and track time, all of the numbers are highly divisible. And there's a reason for that. Like when we look at the 360 degrees of a circle or square, usually basing that on a, some, some sort of cycle, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Well, 360 has 24 divisors in it. And there's 24 hours in the day. So then you say, well, where do we come up with the number 360 for the, you know, the degrees of a circle? Well, to me, you know, intelligent, connected people just went to nature itself and said, what, what should we use? You know, why is there 365 days? It's almost by, by 360 kind of thing, right? So they counted the sun, path of the sun, came to a number that was close that had a lot of advisors, started mapping and tracking time on that because it was the most natural way to do it. I mean, this gets down to the 60 seconds in a minute, the sexagesimal system, 60 is a highly divisible number, 12, that sort of thing. So, um, and even the Mayans, like I said, they based that 260 off of, I think 365. So they were using, it wasn't just a 13 that they were using and then dividing things up. They were, you know, it was highly complex when we get into it like mm -hmm. you know how many different you know they had a venus cycle and a saturnian cycle and blah 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 blah. but um so as far as 13 is concerned it just always made sense to divide in 12 because it's 13 is a prime now you when we were just were in europe you know um we were in germany and we went to france and all this sort of you know uh czech public and all that and the amount of um astrological symbolism related to you know on these churches every you know in 12 it's just ridiculous. It's everywhere, especially now that I can see it. So I think there's something um, in, inherent about that that number twelve, personally. But I don't know. You, you do you have a different take on that? Are you a, are you a thirteen guy? I do because I think our life is much more qualitative than quantitative. So when I look at the, it's called it's the annulus, right? It's that figure eight in the sky of the sun track. Analima, yeah. Analima, excuse me. Yep. So the, the analema, the what would be considered the small part of the analema is essentially our winter months. I'm I'm uh, my chronotype, uh, which means my my sensitivity to light is ex exceptional. Like if there is one little light in the room at night, I can actually feel it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So the quality of the light has a lot to do for me with how quickly a day is experienced. So the analema in the sky to me is a way if you were to look at the proportionality of the analema, that's actually how I experience time from a qualitative perspective. The, the winter days are very short. There's, there's uh it's almost like a compression occurs in 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 that area of the analema and then as you're starting to go through spring like you know the one of the biggest constellations in the sky is aquarius you know i'm i'm at the end of aquarius beginning of pisces as a as a sun sign birth but i'm 
coming out and I actually feel the qualitative expansiveness of like, oh, there's more to get done. There's more time. There's more. So from a quali qualitative perspective, I the 13 rings truer to me. And also in looking at my own chart and looking at other people's charts, you know, Ophicius is there. Ophiuchus is there. So like if if I see the sun or whatever it is, like in casting, you know, my my daughter's chart. You know, she was just born a couple of years ago. Seeing like, okay, these are these luminaries are actually in Ophiuchus. That makes that makes a difference. <laughs> I, I can't say Ophiuchus isn't there. You know, it is there. So I can see the intelligence from a quantitative perspective of using 12, mm -hmm. but also from the lunar perspective in, in Celeste, in Celestics, I was trained to look at the moon from, you know, the new moon. It's like an actual new moon, the, the period of time, the 40 hours that the, the moon isn't visible in the sky. Um, if you were to do, you know, 13 times 28, that's 364, right? And so you, if you were to count the time that you actually don't see the moon and actually count those as new moons, you almost have a perfect 365. It's like mm -hmm. right there. So for me, just as being this, this weird Aquarian Pisces hybrid <laughs> that feels light so sensitively. Like a fish that's dumping out his own water. It's pre really precisely. Well, I'm actually right in the void. There's a <laughs> void between the two. It's the only one in the, it's the only, you know, null point in the plane ecliptic. Like I'm dead in the center of that. Mm -hmm. So it, like I am like, it kind of fits my personality because I'm always on the perimeter, like looking over the fence and seeing what's going on, but not like necessarily fully engaged. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, for me, it's a qualitative experience because so much of life is qualitative. It's not quantitative. Mm -hmm. Like I'm much more about the feeling of something other than like, let's just say the bare bones, you know, material, like, you know, statistics about it if that makes any sense yeah no I, I know what you're saying i mean they're really 12 does lead to 13 too that's the interesting thing it's like you can't because it's it's really 12 around one and that's the natural geometry that you have mm -hmm. like just like uh 18 around one making 19 mm -hmm. 12 one making 13 six around one making seven this is just how you you know the natural geometry that forms mm -hmm. within these things so to me, it was always like, especially when you look at the cipher, you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. There's only the one seven. So it's literally 12 around one in mm -hmm. the center, in that sense, right? Mm -hmm. So you have that, you also have Jesus and the disciples, and then you have the notion that essentially the 12 houses around that center one. So mm -hmm. in that sense, you're still dealing with 13. Mm -hmm. And that's usually, and that's just mapping. This is the other interesting thing is like, there's, you know, obviously different numbers to, for the sun, because you're mapping the sun and the moon. These are different cycles. So mm -hmm. 13 for the moon usually maps up with the 12 for the sun kind of thing. And so there's, there's always that interplay between those, those sort of two numbers, like, mm -hmm. like I was saying, six and seven, 12 and 13, 18 and 19, just in the natural geometry. So what is that called? Because I've seen that where in, I forget what school of thought that is, especially like um, <clears throat> I see people that do tarot and do other types of divination. They'll get the, whatever the number is, and then they go to the next. 
There's some name for that. They'll, they'll look at them both. Like if okay. they get a 12, they'll do the 12 and the 13. Or if they get... Well, in, in Gematria, that's called the rule of Kolel. That's what that is. So, And there's a specific reason for that. Most people think it's a cheat. And it's this idea that you can add or subtract one to your total. Well, there's loads of reasons why you would do this. But one of the mystical reasons is that you always have to account your for yourself and when you're doing math mm -hmm. so it's like oh i've got 12 chickens here or whatever i've got these 12 th well you also have to count the person doing the math mm -hmm. right that's able to even count them so there's that um then there's also the notion too like you were saying there's like this sort of 364 with the moon and then 365 with the sun and there's always this sort of one-off kind of thing you know mm -hmm. So um, that's what it's called in Gematria. And it has a, like I said, a very specific meaning. Um, and then you actually find this when you, um, like when you use the septuary cipher on French and, and Spanish and English and then German, if you use the rule of Kolal, you can get, you know, 360, 365 in all of these different languages. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, um, the other one that's really interesting is um, heaven and earth. So heaven is 23, earth is 24 in, in English gematria. And there's a difference one. Well, what's the what's the one? Mm -hmm. Well, it's the person experiencing heaven and earth, right? Right. Or, you know, sort of thing. So I don't know. To me, once again, a very profound sort of thing. But um, I'm not sure if that's what you're referring to specifically. But I, I didn't know what it was called. I've seen it. Uh, and it, it makes sense to me. It's sort of like what we were talking about when you're whenever you're looking at you know, the luminaries and you're like, you know, it's not, there's not a hard, fast barrier up there. You know, all these barriers are kind of man-made. It's like, so you kind of, it makes sense to kind of look, look and peer into like the next, you know, the, the next little gate that's right next there. That makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's been lots of ways to map and track, the sun and the moon over the years and as we know like you know like the chinese they have a 28 house mm -hmm. zodiac you know that kind of thing mm -hmm. once again at the end of the day they're all mapping the exact same thing no one gets to change the course of the sun no one gets to change the course of the moon mm -hmm. so no matter how you know we we map it we're still mapping that big circle in the sky have you geeked hard on the prog clock and like the oh yeah we went and visited yeah Oh man, the more I look at the prog clock and the more I kind of like do this like little overlay of the prog clock on top of like the the vibes of the have you seen vibes of the cosmos and how they've like they they talk about the the projection of the real map of the earth. They they say them that the moon, they take a negative of the moon and then they take a, a the lower quadrant of that moon and they say this is actually what the earth looks like. And then if you're to map the prog clock over that, the, the where the circle is, the lower circle on the prog clock, that's like right over where we're at. And then the secondary the uh, little circle, like a, it's almost like Atlantis, a circle within a circle within a circle, actually gives you the ages that we're in. And the age that's clicked right there is Pisces. And then if you see if it as it rotates, it's like a gear, it's like a you know, a pinion gear within a spur gear, just reversed. As it would move, like what we're told told is a precession, the way I see it is like if you have everybody that's done high level magnetics, especially magnetics where you're dealing with circles, they call it the magnetic precession. And all that means is there the poles in in a in a magnet 
aren't, they're not stationary. Mm -hmm. They have a flux that goes and the flux is turbulent. So you get this, like, you'll have a dominant North and then a, a subsequent less, less powerful South. And then you'll get a dominant South and then you'll have a, a, a little play with the North. So this creates this little micro wobble. Well, I think if you're to scale that up to the macro level <laughs> in this little puddle that we're in, and you use like the prog clock as that like nice little timepiece kind of showing us what age we're in. I think that's a really beautiful model of, of you know, from a materialist perspective, what, what we could actually be in. Well, I've learned over the years, at least this is sort of how I think is that I try not to even go into anything that I can't prove in that sense. Mm -hmm. So I've seen that video and I, I wasn't a big fan of it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is that, well, can anyone go up and actually get a picture of what the earth looks like? Well, in the whole, meaning like, can we get one shot of exactly this big circle or square of the earth, whatever it is, where we can actually look and get a picture and see the landmass and things like that. And then that sort of thing. So can, to me, can, can I, can I give you a little insight into that? Sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so I oh, don't have, I don't have, I don't have video evidence or anything like that, but I have a friend of mine who is in the Daimi church and he's, he's, uh, I, I, I can never pronounce the, that the guy who started the Daimi church, but, uh, he was apparently pulled up it's almost like a biblical story and he could see the entire earth mm -hmm. so in the 60s when his kids came to him in brazil and like were handing him the you know the newspaper and stuff like that saying that man had landed on the moon he kicked him out of his house <laughs> he's really? like he's like no man can land on the moon interesting it's not it's it's not material and it is like, like he was very like, he was like, no, that, you know, I was pulled up and I've seen God, I've seen all of the earth. Mm -hmm. And so his kids thought he was a little bit nuts because he was, you know, hey, we're on a globe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it was kind of cool to hear that because even to this day within that church, it's very specific of like, look, you know, the guy who kind of founded this whole thing and tells us to do the medicine and live a moral life and all this stuff, like his direct experience was like, this isn't, this isn't a spinning ball folks, you know? Yeah. And, uh, when I heard that story, I thought it was kind of fun for me because my friend that went to Brazil to learn how to, to make, to make the medicine and all that type of stuff. He had kind of listened to me about, you know, that that cosmology for for a minute and he kind of blew me off. And I tell him, ah, the whole dinosaur story is, you know, BS, like all of it. Right. And so when he heard that his like, you know, the person that he's idolized in that in that lineage was like totally into more of like the biblical cosmology. He came back to me kind of with hat in hand was like, huh, you, you might be up to something. <laughs> so I, I, I agreed. I don't think it's something from a material perspective that we can know. Mm -hmm. I think it's really like a consciousness level, like maybe at a certain point when you're done with this bubble of Swiss cheese, you know, you get to kind of get like a snapshot of the whole thing as like a period at the end of the sentence and then 
go to the next realm, who knows? But um, it's kind of fun to talk about just because I find that that, like when I was learning how to look at the sky, I used a planisphere. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it was no no batteries needed, right? And and just like to see the prog clock and see that, I was just like, whoa, that's kind of cool. That kind of that makes sense. That it kind of makes the whole ice age thing make sense to me too. Like if the sun and the moon were to, to kind of veer into a different quadrant, you know, and then the ice would come, it, it, it just kind of, it brought a few things to mind from a material perspective, like, Hey, that, that actually sounds like that could work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just don't go into that too much st- unless I like, once again, unless I can sort of like prove it and then not that I have to prove all things that, you know, everything that I talk about, that's not what I mean, because we do have to speculate. There are things that we can't know. There are epistemological limits and things that we want to, you know, sort of try to transcend and theorize about. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's actually healthy. Um, I just don't put my stock in any of that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? Unless I can actually, you know, if it makes sense and, you know, I provability, that sort of thing. Having that sort of mindset has been extremely helpful over the years Mm -hmm. because it allows me to be like, you know, it's like I can take something in and just leave it or whatever. But it's also allowed me to say it's like, okay, well, if I can never prove that how much time and it and it's not going to uh, give me any sort of thing in this world insights, like how much time am I going to invest in that kind of thing? You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's just my sort of take on it, you know, because I've actually had several people send me that. And I was kind of like, and I was like, this goes to interesting and things like that. But I was just at the end of the day, I was just kind of like, huh, well, maybe, but maybe not, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if, um, you know, I don't know if God even cares if you know that or not kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? I don't think so. <laughs> it's fun too. And it isn't, you know, once again, it's incredibly interesting to think about this stuff and theorize and we do want answers so you have to push your mind out a lot of times to you know and then when you push it far and far back then you bring it in then you're like oh you know doing that has allowed me to actually understand a lot of things you know that's what i've been doing my life is just pushing my mind out as far as i can and then bringing you know taking that net and bringing back what i can and it's like okay here this makes Uh sense Mm -hmm. yeah to me, it's 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 kind of cool to contemplate. I mm-hmm. was um, I was exposed to a bunch of ether physicists from Central Europe, and their their whole notion was that frequency is location. And I I had read a bunch of books where they were actually mapping an ether physics like. They're essentially giving their cosmology for what this what this realm is, and this was pre you know um, pre flat Earth times. This was like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, okay. and it was mind blowing. I actually threw the book out because I thought it was such heresy because it was going against the globe model. But the the book was actually saying that that uh, in in nineteen thirties Germany. In Austria, it been pretty much figured out that the way you got from one place to another place the most efficiently was through change of frequency. It wasn't it wasn't by you know Saturn V rockets, <laughs> you know. And the, their whole thing was is like you have to have a baseline frequency change, like the the overall because you have all these you're an amalgamation of frequencies, you know, matter vibrating at different rates, and. <clears throat> 
they figured the way you trans like uh you bilocate or translocate is that your the the consciousness that the the animating energy would actually tune into the frequency of where it wants to go and then it becomes sympathetic to it and so that that was like the uh the some people now call it sympathetic vibratory physics but it's where once you get into sympathy you actually tune and you go there and i had done a few like, year what's that like like in a physical like star trek sort of warp speed like thing or um, they made it sound so much simpler than all that because that's all still a materialist paradigm so i don't know if any of this stuff actually happened this was just i was just reading reading these books <laughs> that were from from that era but it made sense to me because in in raja yoga one of the siddhis is by location and i had a raja yoga teacher that was like my my primary yoga teacher for eight years and i had seen him i had seen him do supernatural things mm -hmm. and so he talked about by location as being like that's just a siddhi and so in talking to him about bilocation, it was actually very easy for me to do from the perspective of it's, it's just like how people do remote viewing. Somebody gives you a coordinate and then you like, you just kind of, you just make yourself subtle. Like you, you, you don't identify with the material aspect of your being the, I guess you would call it the, uh, the body is very much like an adjutant in consciousness and my consciousness, like the body, when you feel the body, it's like, you know, dense and it, it has its own vibratory rate, but your consciousness, the fourth wall of you is so much more subtle than that. So what you do is you don't identify with the material aspect of yourself. You actually allow that subtle aspect of yourself to identify with the coordinate. And the and the the less you know about the coordinate, the better it is, because there's no projection. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I had been exposed to that before I started reading these hardline, you know, materialist physicists talking about this was their model, but their model said every everything that you experience is just like a bubble in consciousness. And that it was the reverse of what we knew or what I, what I believed at the time is a better way of saying it. What they said, they said space was solid. Like the, 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 the nominal state of existence is it's, it's whole <laughs> and the areas that we get to experience are actually, um, phenomenal the phenomenal zones are like little pockets in swiss cheese <laughs> they're like the little air bubbles mm -hmm. and the way you would go from one pocket of swiss cheese like let's just say the earth was this pocket of swiss cheese the way you go from this pocket of swiss cheese to say the pocket of swiss cheese that is known as mars mm -hmm. is you'd have to change your baseline frequency to match that okay yeah I see. I mean, I see where that's going for sure. Yeah. 
it's um, it's it's wild it's like a totally thing and the i never experienced it on such a grand scale but i had experienced it in near-death experiences i had experienced that in in by location in my own consciousness where it's like i didn't ever leave earth I, I don't think my consciousness can it but it was like one of those things like that model is closer <laughs> to me that's closer to reality than you know billiard balls you know hurling through space at you know 666 million miles per hour or whatever so um it it's a it's a unique way of looking at things because to this day i i design and build homes so to me it's very easy for me to close my eyes i don't even have to close my eyes i can visually see what it is that I want to build before I build it. I can like, <laughs> I can walk through it and all this other stuff. I don't think that there's another, you know, like people talk about multi universes and all that type of stuff. I think, I think what there's, what they're trying to say is that their bubble of perception is like its own universe. You know, mm -hmm. the, their subjective experience of the world is its own universe. And there can be infinitesimal subjective projections of what's going on, but there is only one objective reality. At least, yes. at least that's, that's the way I, I interpret it. But like, I can literally go into the, what some people would call the imaginal realm and, and wholly see something. Like sometimes I can see it that clearer than like in, in material life. <laughs> like if it, and so, that I mean, isn't that sort of the, sorry. Um, it just seems like that is so like key to artistic polymathic people is to be able to go into the mind, into that landscape and mm -hmm. see something that hasn't been produced yet and then produce it, bring it from, you know, literally that's the, that's the, the poeticism of the blank slate when you're a songwriter you start out with a blank page you don't got a chord you don't got a riff you got nothing mm -hmm. the next thing you know, but you can you know and i've had this experience so many times where i'd be in the middle of writing a song or something and it's like i can see the song being done i can hear the song being done like it's not i'm in the middle of writing it or just starting to write it and i'm like wait there's got to be a bridge here there's going to be a chorus right after that chorus we'll go an outro solo and i'm not even written it yet but i can see it what the hell is that? That doesn't make any sense. How can you're in the middle of writing something that hasn't been written yet, but that's already there kind of thing. Right. Unbelievable. And anytime I've written a book, I had the, um, the thought of it before mm -hmm. this, you know, I had this in my mind before it ever came out. Mm -hmm. So I have very similar experiences throughout my own creative life, but that's yeah. very much. Yeah. I mean, that's what I experienced directly, you know? And then it's very interesting to see too, is like, I've, I've built enough things to know that once you actually start the material construction of it, it kind of takes on its own life. <laughs> the, the, the creative process is so unbelievably fascinating to me because it's, it's true. You get into something and next thing you know, it morphs into something that, you know, you might not expect it or whatever. Like I said, you can see it. You know, but you don't really know what it's going to come out at the end kind of thing until it's done. And then when it's done, it just seems like it's sort of like, oh, that's what it was meant to be kind of thing. Yeah. That's been my experience, you know. Um, I don't know. There's I think there's something about developing to me. Um, 
spirituality is directly connected to people's creativity. Yeah. I think something very, there's a strong connection there. I know in my own life, there's no way I would have came to God if it, I don't think if I had the backing of music that I did. Right. This but, constant being like, I want to write a new song or I have this an idea or I'm inspired, that sort of thing. Um, Cause the creator's creative with creation, right? So in order to align with that, you have to develop those creative skills yourself, which means you have to develop a pretty, pretty badass imagination, you mm -hmm. know? But not only that, like you said, okay, great. You can think a bunch of stuff up here. Who gives a shit? Can you bring it out though with your hands? Mm -hmm. Can you bring that to materiality? That to me is, um, I don't know. I've always been fascinated by it. And it's, you know, it's now it's my work, which is mm -hmm. amazing. So. Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, in the whole yoga system, you know, you come up through the third chakra, you know, the third chakra is this whole solar plexus. It's the creation. And then my teachers were very, very big about saying like, you actually won't actually really feel love until you, until the energy comes up through your third chakra, until you do create, be, you become that portal for God to, you know, take the unmanifest and make it manifest. Then the heart opens. Can I say something to that man? Um, for many years as a songwriter, like, you know, I always wanted to, you know, write a good song as anybody does. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing the songwriter Ryan Adams say something about how when he wrote a song, he wanted to make his grandmother cry. You know, the song had to be so potent and personal and deep and really hit all of those things, you know, mm -hmm. and that song is never going to be good unless it goes through the heart. It yeah. has to have the heart. Now, I can tell you that for sure, because I've written some really good songs over the years and some hot steaming piles of shit too, right? You know, and like, so for years, I did, I felt like I wasn't connected to that creative impulse. Like I had lost it when I had it in my youth, where it was very readily available. Like I could just go and there's like an infinite well of creativity. And then I had a depression for many years and I sort of lost it. Mm -hmm. And then when I actually came back to songwriting again and I, I tried and I tried and I wrote shit song after shit song. And then finally it was this thing was like, no, it's, there's gotta be this heart. It has to come from, I have to dig the deepest I can possibly dig. And only when I do that, that song is going to be good. Mm -hmm. And that is straight going it has to come through here. Otherwise it's just a bunch of, you know, detritus in your stomach or, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's just down here. It doesn't do anything. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting to the level with building where I'm going to start to be able to do spec building mm -hmm. and it's going to be like, so I don't have to, I don't have to bend to anyone else's will. I can actually just, I can, literally let all of it come through because i've gotten so mad with clients i'm like you don't understand because i'll design something and i'll love it i'll love my design i'll be attached to it it'll be like but i want this here i'm like no no you don't understand if you do that like you know because i've already lived in it for a thousand hours in my mind you know and they're just like on a whim they're like no i want it this way like no <laughs> so it's gonna be a lot of fun to be able to create in that way and then just have it like okay this is it this is this is my baby whole whole monty you know so that that's going to be really exciting to do um the how much how much time do you have we're at we're at what is that 80 minutes we've been oh, that's good. yeah no i'm cool so oh great excellent 
So I know I kind of took us off uh, off on a tangent when it came to this uh, more ether physics based cosmology. So if I know what threw you off with vibes of the cosmos, by the way, what's that? The music. Oh, <laughs> the voice. Because I, I had I had several people send me that and be like, "Dude, you have to see this." And then we <laughs> watched it, and I just it just didn't click. It just I don't know what it was. I don't know. Whatever. No, Maybe. it was when yeah, I was. Then, I'm gonna contact you. Be like, dude, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I was in Europe, I hated it because wherever we go out, everyone was smoking, and they all listened to that just terrible, like bad '80s slash '90s glam rock digital synth music and i was just like this is like so bad like it's so bad because my, my projection was you know victor schauberger talking about you know you'll know the consciousness of a society through its its forests its music and its water and when i was there it was all monoculture terrible water and terrible music i was like i'm out yeah, I, honestly, I think uh, the, the um, uh, whatever the barometer of music says so much about a culture. It really oh, yeah. does, you know. Like, I, I mean, anymore, I listen to like Clara Schumann and Franz Liszt and Chopin. Like, I'm not listening to Pearl Jam, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm bored with it. I don't. It doesn't do it. You know, I really like folk singers and simple music, simple folk stuff that really tells a tale mm -hmm. or, is, like I said, really gets to the heart. I like short songs. It doesn't have to be right. some masterpiece. If it gets to your heart, who cares, right? Right. Um, but, yeah, I do, it's, uh, you know, when you look at, like, Cardi B and like, what is up? What, like, all these others. It says everything about where we are, spiritually, morally, everything. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And so much of that is just artificial too. I think so much of that was just artificially foisted upon, you know, it's the first rule of marketing. You tell people what they want. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said you hate signs and advertising. I was in the sign business for a quick time. I don't know how many years, dude. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So let's get, let, let's get to the cosmology, man. I, I want to know what what is this realm that we're in okay well i mean to me it's you know uh this is the place where souls come to do their work to right. go the pro i mean at, at this point i think it's pretty clear for a lot of people like this is a staging ground and for you to figure out you know you get this sort of spark of the divine spark and you're put into this sort of labyrinth of questions and you know challenges and suffering and you know all of this sort of stuff mm -hmm. and your whole goal is to bring that light home and this is the place where that happens this is the you know in the in that. the in the bible i you know the last time I read the Bible through and through was I was in my twenties. Is there any precedent for reincarnation in the Bible? I teach it directly in the Bible. Oh, um, do tell. In, in, so I got to a position once again reading esotericists. They talked about this shit, uh -huh. right? And I have a P. I think a couple maybe on the site. Hopefully it's still on there. But one, there was like this whole thing, basically talking about all the places in the Bible where you can't even understand the story unless you bring in reincarnation. Mm -hmm. One of them, Saint Frickin' John. Saint John mm -hmm. in the Old Testament is known as Elijah, right? Oh, Elijah, Elijah, blah 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 blah. Elias, right? And then his name isn't Elias; it's John. 
And, and there's no question that this is the guy, you know, because there's the Old Testament where there's the prophecy and there's Elijah and he's going to announce the Savior, mm-hmm. the Messiah is going to come. And who's in the New Testament? Who is this? Well, it's St. John. And no one questions that the prophecy is being fulfilled. But his name is John. It's not Elijah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Make any sense, right. So then you say, OK, well, then who is that soul? Well, Elijah is John because John is reincarnated as Elijah. You know, what I'm, or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Elijah is mm-hmm. reincarnated as St. John. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. There's how are you even going to make sense of that? It doesn't make any sense, whatever. It's like we're attaching this character to this guy in the Old Testament and they have completely different names. But the prophecy is fulfilled. So mm-hmm. the only way to even make sense of that is if you bring reincarnation and now try to tell that to some Christians. <laughs> right. luck, you know, but it doesn't even make any sense. So there's, you know, situations like that. The other thing I always bring up, too, um, was, you know, they talk about a creation story, right? In, in the Genesis. And then it says, go forth and replenish the earth. Re, replenish. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Oh, you just had a creation story. That means the earth was plentiful at one point, And now there was a destruction and now you're replenifying it. And that's Plenish the earth. Yeah. Re to do again, plenish coming from plentiful. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, it's like, oh, there's a creation story and now replenish the earth. What? So therefore, once again, some something that people are reading that they think it's like, this is the first time. This is the only thing it means. One word will tell you that that interpretation is bullshit. That interpretation is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is, is in order to say that, like I have to say all the time, you have to go against essentially the entirety of Christendom. Right. And then a lot of times you'll get this, oh, he's the king of Christianity, special boy, Marty Leeds. Fuck you. I come from a tradition, you know, mm-hmm. and that tradition has been calling this shit out for years. You just weren't listening. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm here to make you listen. <laughs> you know, I've, I've got a loud Irish shit kicking, you know, personality. I'll just come out and be like, no, we're going to talk about this. We right. are going to talk about this mm-hmm. because I've had to listen. Pardon me. I'm getting a little hot here, but I've had to listen to your bullshit my entire life. Mm-hmm. All your interpretations and what this is supposed to mean. And you have to believe this. And it never made any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, And now it does. Now it does to a point where I'm like, let's, you know, let's, let's get into it kind of thing. You know, uh, I can't wait to read this. No, I can't. When you, once again, it's like, just like uh, sincerity and honesty. Mm-hmm. Right. I just went in with sincerity and honesty into the Bible. I'm like, what do you got? What do you got to show me? Let's go into this thing and really get into it, you know, and not take this interpretation over here. Somebody yelling in your ear, oh, you don't know, whatever, dude, you know, I, I'll take care of my salvation, you know, whatever, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, um, yeah, reincarnation doesn't absolutely in the Bible. And in fact, well, I don't, don't want to get into that. That's too long. But anyway. I was really happy in this regard with my family. When I was growing up, you know, we were Protestant. So we only went to church like, you know, twice a year. <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't. But I, 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 do, I, I do give my dad credit. My dad used to say, God helps those who helps, help themselves. And I... Like that was like this thing that no matter what interpretation I was getting from whatever religion, I, I always had that kind of anchored in my being. Like if I didn't do the work, you know, and I had played enough, I had played enough team sports to know I always hated the loafers, you know, you always have those guys that are just skating 
And you're just like, I hated them because I was never the most talented, but I had very, very strong willpower. So I worked really, really hard. And so I could sniff out, you know, a loafer like that. So I'd come across all what I would call hypocritical spiritual people that weren't doing any work, but they were making a massive claim. Mm -hmm. And their claim would be like, they were the special boy. They're the special person. And because somebody else did the work for them. And I'm like, that's not my life. I, I, I don't see that at all. It always bothered me, this whole like, oh, you just got to have faith kind of thing. You know, my parents instilled, you know, in me a very strong work ethic to the point where, you know, when I ran businesses, like I couldn't even have somebody help me. Like I needed help at the business, but I couldn't stand having somebody help me because a lot of times I'd have to babysit them or they'd be the loafer. And I'm like, get out of here. I'll work the extra hour and do it myself and know that it's going to be done right. And I've got the work ethic to do it. You're not impressing me. So when I, and I understood that in a work ethic sense, right? Being you know, working businesses, having my own business, parents raising me well, as far as that's concerned. Then when I went into the spiritual stuff, I has the exact same experience, dude. It's like I could sniff it out right away. You know, here you're coming at me with this interpretation and belief and all this other stuff, and you haven't done shit, mm -hmm. worked at all. You haven't proven anything, you know? So to me, it was that was a very strong, you know, this whole work, you know, faith without works is dead thing, you know? The, the Masons taught me this too, man. You read the Masonic literature, they'll be like, you got to go knock and ask. Otherwise, God doesn't care. He's not going to give you anything. Right. You it's on you. It's autodidactic. It's on your shoulders. So if you're like, well, I don't want to get up and climb the mountain again today. Well, tough shit. So do you think, do you think that's the role of most religion and dogma is to, is to take the, the person that's not willing to do the work and, and just lead them down the primrose path? Is that, let's just say like with the Western, let, let's just say with, like, I just recently lived in Arkansas. And in Arkansas, there's literally more churches than people. So like, like you, you can't, you can't like throw a stone without hitting like five or six different denominational churches. So all their congregations are super small. And we tried to go to a few of them just to kind of inculcate some sort of culture into our daughter. And I, I couldn't stand it <laughs> for multiple reasons. But like being in that space, it was just like, like, I can't say that these people weren't living the word because I don't know them. But the, just the sheer, like dogmatic holding on to their position is the only position. It was just like, it felt so toxic. <laughs> <laughs> like there was no that, that that to me isn't that to me isn't doing the work you know what i'm saying that isn't like but, okay so this is just interesting because i think it's just once again maybe it's a world age kind of thing where we are right now or that sort of thing and but to me when i went to the bible the bible is this you know specifically talking about the bible right because we can talk about other religions of the world, but let's just talk about Christianity and the Bible and New Testament, that sort of thing. It's a crazy book of mysteries. When you read, just looking at it on a space and just reading it, 
there's endless things where it's like, what the hell does this mean? I have no idea what they're talking about here. You'll go in and they'll just have a regular story. It's like Jesus walked over here and then he healed this person. Next thing you know, you've got some woman that's throwing bread under the table for some dogs. And you're like, what is this? You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Constantly, whenever I went to the Bible, it was mystery after mystery after mystery. Mm -hmm. No one actually providing answers to any of those things. I actually think this is the purpose of religion is to provide these, the, the mystery tradition to people. Mm -hmm. And then say, what does this stuff mean? Like literally go in and challenge it. Now you're not supposed to go in and challenge the Bible. You're just supposed to accept it. Well, I don't think it's always been that way. I think it's like, I think that it was very well understood in, in ages past that all of the religions was, it was the mystery tradition, which means that it required of you to go in and do the work. It required right. you to go and knock, right? Now they took that away and they've replaced it with, well, you just believe the shit and you're going to heaven and, and this is the only thing. And then this is the only thing, but it's my denomination. And there's like 40 others that believe whatever else. And they're reading the same text. Mm -hmm. So to me, I was like, something's wrong. You guys got your head up your sphincter. You're not, you don't know what you're talking about. And mm -hmm. then, and in that perspective, the mystery was gone. You couldn't ask the questions, right? You couldn't go and, and challenge it. Mm -hmm. So to me, that was, those were all red flags to say, no, I got to challenge that. You're telling me not to, I'm gonna, you know, so. That's awesome. Uh, for those that are just listening, what, what's the name of your new book? Uh, Scripture in the Stars. It's not out yet as pre-sale, but um, yeah, it's coming out a couple of weeks. So is, is there a particular Bible that you personally prefer? I'm a King James guy. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> That brings up a whole other conversation because like, James, he was this and that, and it, all these other things. I didn't even look at it from any sort of like alleged historical perspective or anything like that. I was a literary hound for years. So what did I do when I went to the Bible? I wasn't reared. I didn't have this emotional attachment that so many people have to Christ. Right. I didn't have any of that. So I could just go in freelance, be like, let's take a look at what we got. So I did cross Bible analysis mm -hmm. as a literary scholar, as somebody that could read James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake and tell you what some of that stuff means, because I dedicated my life to it. Mm -hmm. So when I went in and looked at all the different Bibles, it was clear as day that most of the nearly all of them, the 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 like newer translations and interpretations are shit. They're mm -hmm. just awful. And you and you don't even I don't even need to say anything other than that. Just read it. You know, you'll take uh, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and you read in like the new international version or the, you know, American, whatever version. It's like God created the universe. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, right. No, you can't do that. That's like taking the works of Shakespeare and be like, oh, let's make this easier to read. What? What are you doing? So the King James was clear. It held on to the old language. It held on to the, 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 mm. the, the terms, you know, um, Oh, the mystery was still there, all of that. So before I even opened a church or any, any of that sort of stuff, I was just like, look, this is clearly a better text. Ha has your has your personal Bible been mandala affected? <laughs> to me, the mandala effect, I'll say this, and I'm gonna piss a bunch of people off. Whatever, who cares? I do that. Anyway. <laughs> to me, the mandala effect is a litmus test for your intelligence. Mm -hmm. meaning like if you've fallen for that you're not a critical thinker you're not mm -hmm. you know because there's it isn't to say that there aren't mandala effects they're interesting or there isn't to say that there's some things that might not have answers to but most of them are if you go through you know one by one you can easily make sense of what's going on the other thing that you find in the mandala effect is no one does 
the explanation of how the brain memory works, how you actually mm -hmm. take in information. You they, they completely missed that conversation. Well, that's pretty important if you're going to talk about memory and all that sort of stuff. And that just that's a basic study of psych 101 kind of shit, really. Mm -hmm. So to me, um, I don't know. The Mandela effect is such a joke. The the one th like. I can't, I can't say one way or the another because I don't trust my biblical knowledge. But the one that would get me was where two or more are gathered in my name. I always mm. remember it. I don't. I never remember it where two or three are gathered in my name. Well, what you actually find, and you say for the forget about the Bible, you'll just have this all the time where people will, will something will be said and it'll just be repeated. Right. And then that's just how you remember it sort of thing. So True. the funny thing is, is like when you go and people like pick out and this is the one I do all the time because it makes them completely stop. Mm -hmm. Like it makes them basically look stupid. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, say, OK, well, you got this thing in Isaiah here, or Matthew here, and blah, blah, blah. OK. And you're saying it said this and I know it said this. OK. Can you can you recite any other line from that chapter? Nope. Can you tell me what that chapter is about? The <laughs> context. Yeah. Can you tell me the context? Can you tell me what the verse is before that? Can you tell me who's even speaking here? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, that kind of thing. They can't do it. And that right. just says it's like, OK, well, maybe you should think about that before, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. I went, I did a whole like three hour one where I went through like one after another, after these claims that were mm -hmm. Mandela effects, it's like, these are very easily debunkable, but the people that believe in the Mandela effect, it's like the Globers. It's like, they're never going to get off their ball. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause the emotion they're, they're emotional emotion. with it. Yeah. That, that's, that's got them locked in. Well, Marty, it's been a blast having you. Hopefully uh, you and your, and your wifey will come and hang with us in, in Missouri when you come down I and mean, i appreciate that man by the way yeah yeah, yeah. to come down so yeah I'll, I'll get busting on your bedroom right quick <laughs> but uh yeah man enjoy your new year's get get a little crazy hopefully you'll sing a little song and drink a little drink maybe yeah probably not i'm too old uh, <laughs> you gotta sing a little song at least uh, that's true yeah yeah you, no. <laughs> awesome brother well i look forward to seeing you soon and uh just share with everybody where they can find your stuff and your your all your good works uh yeah well new book scripture and the stars and then the last book i wrote was lord jesus christ which is big old i don't even think we talked about that big old fat book on christ and the meaning of christ and the math and all that other stuff um yeah gnosticacademy.org is where you can find me and then we do service every sunday at 9 a.m central standard time on my channel it's on rockfin as well and yeah and people have been really enjoying it. So we love it. it. We live, love it. We're, we're devout listeners every Sunday. Well, thank you. Appreciate that, man. <laughs> awesome, brother. Well, you have a good one. All right. Blessings, man. All right.